You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist evildoers. If anyone strikes you on the right cheek, turn the other also. If anyone wants to sue you and take your coat, give your cloak as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go also the second mile. Give to everyone who begs from you and do not refuse anyone who wants to borrow from you. You've heard that it was said you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be children of your Father in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the righteous and on the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers and sisters, what more are you doing than others? Do not even Gentiles do the same? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. This is the word of the Lord. Well, there are parts of this Sermon on the Mount we love, and there are parts of this Sermon on the Mount we don't like at all. Parts of it are very easy to understand, and some parts of it are very difficult to understand. Let's take a look at this latest segment here. Jesus is dealing with very specific circumstances, all under the umbrella of that first verse, do not resist evildoers. Dr. Gene Mooring says what that means is that we are not to act retaliatorily against others who do harm to us. Dr. F.W. Barr says what this means is that we are not to act because of the way others act toward us. They do not determine how we live our lives. Rather, Christ Jesus is the determinant in our lives. So what is he saying to us here? First of all, he begins by saying, if someone strikes you on the right cheek, and this is very specific, right cheek. Stop and think with me. Most people are right-handed. The right hand was considered the fighting hand. Even all these centuries later, when we have fathers walking the brides down the aisle of our church, the bride comes in on the father's left arm, keeping free the fighting hand until we know for sure this young man's intentions are honorable here. <laughs> the right hand was the fighting hand. So when Jesus says, if someone strikes you on the right cheek, how would that happen? If someone strikes from the right, that person would be far more likely to hit you on the left side of the face. He says specifically the right side, which leads Dr. Edward Schweitzer to say, Jesus is describing not a punch, but a back slap. It is a backhanded slap across the face. It doesn't hurt so much as it insults. And that this admonition was probably even truer in Matthew's time than it was in Jesus' time of people who said, you say you believe in the one God and that this one God was somehow present in a baby in Bethlehem? What? If someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn the other as well. Number two, if someone sues you for your cloak, in that time, most of the men wore two loose-fitting garments, one outer, one inner. The inner one was usually thinner, the outer one heavier. 
you have to keep remembering how poor most of the people were. You and I get upset when we have an unemployment rate of 6%, 7%. One does not have to travel very far in third world countries to encounter people this very day where there is 50, 60% unemployment. Any number of countries in the world today you can go to and 60 to 70% of the men are standing around doing nothing. There is no work. Poverty is a real real cause of sickness and death. In Jesus' time, there were so many people who lived subsistent living. That is, the men would line up every morning hoping to be chosen for work. If there was work to do in the field, if there was harvesting to be done, cultivating to be done, plowing, seeding to be done, fine. person worked 12 hours, was given one little coin called the denarius. It was enough to buy bread for the family for supper. There would be no breakfast. There would be no lunch. And if the next day the worker was not chosen, there would be no dinner. And yet, those who had more sued those who had less, even for their outer garments. The Torah said you cannot take a person's outer garment for 24 hours. In desert climate at night, the person would freeze to death. He has to have that outer garment to wrap up in to keep himself warm. You can hold it during the day. You cannot hold it during the night. Jesus said, if they sue you and take your outer garment, give the other one as well. Stand there naked in front of them. If that's what they want from you, give them both. goes a step farther and says, there are those who can compel you to go one mile with them. I say if they compel you to go one mile, go two. Gail and I have traveled in several different countries where we've seen remnants of the old Roman roads. Those Roman roads were very carefully marked at mileage points. It was easy to tell how far one had been, how much farther one had to go. They could compel you to go one mile, to carry something heavy for them, one mile. And then they were supposed to choose somebody else to carry from there. We know this from the story of our Lord's crucifixion. He had not slept. He had been beaten, whipped, humiliated, not fed. And so when he started out carrying this heavy cross member to Golgotha, he stumbled and fell. And a Roman soldier said to a bystander, one Simon of Cyrene, You! You carry it for him. And there was no recourse if told to carry. One carries. Jesus said, If they can make you do it one mile, do two. You see, if you can do more than the oppressor requires of you, you cease being the victim and you take a certain control of the situation. Remember Cool Hand Luke? Cool Hand Luke was a story, character played by Paul Newman. Not really a bad person. He's just having a bad day. Uh, He decides to cut the heads off parking meters. He feels like folks aren't doing the right thing by him. He's had a lot of trouble with his mother, so he cuts the heads off parking meters and spills out the change, and he's thrown into jail. And when he does something else equally dumb and silly, he's put on a chain gang in Alabama. It has gone from bad to worse in a hurry. And all Luke wants is to be free. And so he keeps escaping, and every time he escapes, they catch him, and they beat him, and treat him more horribly every time. But there's one scene in there in particular. If you've seen it, you will remember this one. When they are having to work 
one scalding hot day in Alabama. They're working on a farm-to-market road. You'd call it down in Texas. It's a farm-to-market road. They are to spread gravel and hot tar. It is blisteringly hot. And they're asking how far we got to go today, boss. How far we got to go today? And Paul Newman says, farther than they tell us. We will go farther than they tell us. And so they run. They run down that road, not being resentful any longer, but determined they will spread more gravel, more tar, and cut more weeds than anybody has required of them. Because when you do more than is required, you capture you capture the power in that moment. And that's what Jesus was saying. Then he says, give to everyone who asks of you. And here again, we're talking about a very different circumstance. If a person is not chosen for work, if he doesn't get to do that 12 hours, if he doesn't get that one small coin, the family will not eat. And so when people ask, they ask because they were hungry. We have to be very careful today because if you simply give to everyone who begs, they are beggars forever. I remember a few years after uh, American tourists were allowed more readily into China, we were in Guilin. We had a, a, just a radiant young woman who was our guide there. And she was taking us to see the reed flute cave. And as the bus started to pull up, she said, please do not give to the begging children. There are schools in this community for every child. I am a school teacher myself, she said. These mamas and papas know that most Americans are generous and they've sent their kids down to the cave rather than sending them to school. And if you fill their hands with American money, they will beg again tomorrow. And the next day, and the next they will not go to school. We took a cruise in Russia. We went from Moscow by, by uh, river and canal all the way to St. Petersburg. And we stopped at very poor villages along the way. Americans tend to be generous and they were doling out candies and chewing gum, all kinds of little trinkets and things to the kids. And the guide on the ship kept saying, if you give them and give them and give them, they will come to the pier and beg every day. They will not go to school. They will not work. So we have to be careful. Jesus is talking about a day when people were starving to death, when there was no government provision of any kind. There was no day center for the homeless. There was no John 3.16. There was no Salvation Army. If this person has no coin, he and his family do not eat. Today, you may have a very different situation. Loan, loan to everyone who would borrow from you. Shakespeare said a few years later, be careful, neither a lender nor a borrower be. Neil and I had lunch with one of our sons and his family yesterday, and as she and I were driving home again, not far from our house, there was a new piece of ground all being cleared away, and a sign said, we're going to have another bank in our neighborhood. Do you not have enough banks in your neighborhood? I think in Tulsa it's a race now between banks and pharmacies. What do you think? Are we going to have more banks or more pharmacies? More pharmacies or more banks? 
How many people are there in Tulsa who want to loan other people money? My only brother is chairman of the board of a bank in my hometown. Both of his sons are bankers in Texas. They love to loan people money. Who pay it back? Let me tell you something. Any person who's asking you to loan them money is a person who does not pay back or he or she would be borrowing from the nearest bank. So if you're going to loan to individuals, you just face the fact you have just made a gift because that money is not coming back. Okay? Just be sure you understand that. You've just made a gift because that money is not coming back. If that person was reputable, he or she would be borrowing from a bank. The rates are much better. Jesus then gets to the point. And the point is that God lets it rain on good and bad. And God lets the sun shine on the good and the bad. Matthew here has the righteous and the unrighteous. If that's what God does, that is that God is actively working for good for all, then that's what we're supposed to be doing. This word perfect we shy away from because most of us are products of the Western world. We studied the history of Western civilization. And Western civilization came through Greece. Socrates, Plato, and Aristotle moved on into the Roman Empire. And the Greeks had taught us that there is no such thing as perfection on the planet Earth. Perfection is in that next story up from this one. You never, ever meet perfection in this lifetime. But see, this is not a Greek-produced book here. This is a Hebrew-produced book, and the Jews don't have that problem with that word. This word translated perfect here for you and me is used many times in the Greek translation of the Hebrew Scriptures. It says, for example, of Noah, when God approached Noah about building a ship, it was because Noah was a perfect man. Abraham, an old man with an old wife, is asked by God to found a new, a new nation of people who would convince the rest of the world that there's only one true God. Did you hear me, Abram? I want you to walk in my ways and be perfect. It was said of Job that God allowed Job to be tested because Job was a man perfect in his generation. The word here is translated most often as undivided, whole, together. You and I might say focused. Okay? God is focused on willing good for people and those who know themselves to be children of God will also be focused on doing good for all the children of God. That doesn't always mean saying yes. It may mean saying no. What does love require of you in any given situation? What does real love require when you want the best for the other? One of the movies that is being acclaimed this year for foreign film of the year is called The Lives of Others. It centers in East Germany, 1984. We were there in 1988. The wall came down in 1989. I remember it took us almost two hours to get through Checkpoint Charlie in Berlin. Uh, we spent three weeks 
in those East Bloc communist-dominated countries. East Germany, Hungary, Poland, Czechoslovakia, 1988. This movie is about 1984, I told you. It's about the Stasi. The Stasi were a super elite group of people who spied on all the citizens of East Germany. There are only 70 million people there, about a sixth of the number of people we have in the United States, and yet they had 100,000 people working for the Stasi, and those 100,000 had 200,000 others who were on the payroll just spying on their neighbors. You see anything suspicious? Pick up the phone and call us. You see anything? Pick up the phone and call us. Trying to keep people under the thumb of communism. There's one particularly foul person named Captain Wiesler. Wiesler's always looking for somebody else. And one day he decides that a playwright is just too good to be true. And when the playwright is not at home, he has his house bugged. Cameras and sound recording equipment of all kind. And then Wiesler sits out in a truck and watches everything that goes on in the house. It's called The Lives of Others. But the point is that Wiesler makes a tragic mistake one day. He begins to identify with the people in the house. He empathizes. He empathizes. He feels what they're feeling, and it marks his ruin. He can never be the same once he feels what they are feeling. Les Miserables. Most people today probably know it from the play, the musical. It comes from a novel, more than 1,400 pages. And Victor Hugo wrote this marvelous story around this basic idea. He said himself, the number one character in my book is the infinite. Only second is man. In this powerful story of Jean Valjean, Cosette, a young man swept up in the, the French uh, War of Independence, uh, all of these characters live out their lives under the infinite. And a cry for them to somehow understand that their relationship with the infinite is supposed to have everything to do with their relationship with each other. Jean Valjean, who spent 19 years in prison for stealing one loaf of bread when he was starving to death. You see, les miserables means the wretched ones. And it was to them and about them that our Lord Jesus was speaking. The good news to them. So what of, what of love? Last week was Valentine's, and so much was being written and spoken about love. I saw one poll taken of first, second, and third grade students. A group of experts were asking them, what do you think love is? One little girl said, love is when you go out to eat and give somebody most of your French fries without making them give you any of theirs. One little girl, third grade, said, When my grandmother got arthritis, she couldn't bend over and paint her toenails anymore. And she loved pretty toenails, so my grandfather does it for her, even when his hands have arthritis, too. One little girl said, During my piano recital, I was on stage and I was scared. I looked at all those people watching me, and suddenly I saw my daddy, and I wasn't scared anymore. 
One little girl said, you really shouldn't say I love you unless you mean it. But if you mean it, you should say it a lot. And one little boy said, love is what's in the room with you at Christmas if you stop opening presents and listen. 